I, uh, everybody say, welcome, Terry. <clears throat> Who else in here yells Roll Tide? Anybody? We got, there we go. We got some woods here. Yeah, another one. Yeah. 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 All right. Look, we live in a divided world, and Bruce, I don't need to bring this kind of mess up in worship right now. I mean, it's not good for people's hearts. It's, I know it is too late, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can't unring a bell. Um, I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, I woke up this morning with the question, I don't care about, I mean, I do care. I'd like, I'd like for neither Alabama or Ohio State to make it into the Final Four. But um, to be honest, but my struggle... My struggle, this is not Scott the preacher talking yet. That, hadn't, that happens in a second. This is Scott the, the, the man who has all of his frailties on display on a regular basis. My struggle is that there's going to be four teams picked, and I immediately can't pull for two of them, right? I, I can't pull for Clemson. I can't. Where, um, where, where are the Clemson fans? I can't pull for Clemson. There we go, right there. I can't pull for Clemson, and I sure as <clears throat> cannot pull for the University of Georgia, I, there's no way. There is no way. There is no way. I, hold on, real quick, real quick. Is there anybody in the room that, that attended classes at Georgia, the Georgia Institute of Technology? Anybody that attended classes at Georgia Tech? Anybody in the room? So I'm the, I'm the only guy. I'm just, hold on, hold on. Right there, right there. I can't do it. What am, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. Yes. Best friend. <laughs> Woo. I can't do it, so I don't know. I don't know. If Georgia plays like they did last night, they're pretty good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. All right. All right. Here we go. Shake it off. <laughs> we need to pray, don't we? <laughs> let's, uh, let's begin in a word of prayer. Gracious God, in this moment, For each of us. As your word is spoken, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. And amen. The list of things that get passed down from one generation to another is lengthy. The list of things that get passed down from one generation to another is lengthy. Most of us, I I, I don't want to say all of us, but most of us on some level have received from those who came before us uh, things. How How do I say it? Things. Some are gifts. Most of them are gifts. Most of them are good. Some of our, let me, let me see, let me show, show of hands real quick to this question. How many of you would agree with the statement that some of your most treasured possessions were passed down to you from a generation or two before, before you? Anybody, anybody raise some of your most treasured things? Anybody? Okay. All right. Well, maybe we're not all playing along right yet, but, um, <clears throat> Some of our most treasured possessions are the things that people have passed down to us. My, uh, my, my, my dad, not necessarily gifted with his hands, but his dad was. My, my dad uh, had gone to school and, and gotten just too educated like some of us are, 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 are prone to do. But, but his dad, no, his dad, uh, my, my grandfather, Hagen, um, who I never met, he, he passed away when my dad was... Uh, uh, like, like, like 12. Um, uh, he, was, uh, he was the mayor. He was a mayor. I, came, I come from like political royalty. Um, 
he was a mayor of, the, uh, of Newington, Georgia, um, which maybe reduces some of that royalty. Um, Newington, Georgia, which is a, a community of about four or 500 um, in Scriven County, Georgia. He was also the depot operator for the train company, the Savannah to Atlanta, and, uh, and an electrician. But he, but he worked with his hands. And, and, my, and my mom's dad was a preacher, but he was also a, a skilled and gifted craftsman and woodworker in, in his spare time. And he, he would whittle and build stuff. And this, uh, this carpenter's angle was passed down to me. And it, uh, it hangs on my shelf. And I don't use it nearly enough. But, uh, but I think it's probably appropriate. One of the things that I... I've been, that's been passed on to me comes actually with units of measurement on them because the truth is the thing that most of us don't want to talk about being passed down from one generation to, uh, to another is this sense of how we are being measured. The thing that, the thing that we don't want to talk about is, is how our parents and their parents in front of them, and their parents in front of them, and one generation after another, places on our shoulders, lines up alongside us, these, these expectations, these, these, these measurements. You know, like, like, will you make us proud? And, 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 and will you bring honor to our house? And, 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 and will we always be able to look with pride on what you've done and who you've become and what you say and what others think of you? This, these, are the, these, are the, these are the passed down, not so much treasured items that one generation gives to another. These are the expectations. Dare I say, these are the pressures. I mean, on one level, on one level, what's been passed on to Scott from the generations before is the question of, of will, will Scott measure up? Will Scott measure up? I mean, I imagine that every person in the room resonates with such questions. Maybe bristles is the better word at such questions. Do you measure up? Do you measure up to what your mama wanted you to be, to what your daddy wanted you to be, what, to, what, to, what, to what your family expected of you, this pressure? It's, it's, it's the legacy. It's the human condition. It's... Is what happens. I mean, I think it's appropriate that, that this family heirloom comes with units of measure ticked off on it because there is a unit of measure that is held up beside me and beside all of us. I invite you to begin the story of Christmas that we are preparing for in the most peculiar of ways, but it's the way that Matthew began it. If you would turn in your Bibles with me, it's the story of Jesus Christ that begins, that begins of all things with a genealogy.
This is how Matthew chooses to begin what is supposed to be good news. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Son of David. Now stay there. Son of David. Son of Abraham. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Everyone listening to this the first time around, the second time around, the hundred and second time around would have known this. That those titles came with expectations. Because an expectation is is what comes when a promise has been made and hasn't yet been kept. You know what I'm saying? Son of David. This is, this is the title that's going to be assigned and tagged to all the generations that follow. And the expectation tied to the promise is that, is that David's family, David's offspring would deliver a Messiah. Derived from, 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 from the word, derived from the word deliverer, savior. The, the, the same word for the, for, the, for, the, for the name Moses, the one who would free their people. But it's, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. This is also going to be a son of Abraham. And Abraham, well, I, we can turn there. We can turn there. Turn to a, turn, hold your finger in Matthew 1 and then turn back to Genesis 12. And the expectations... And the pressure that's placed on, on being a son of Abraham or maybe even bigger than being a son of David. It goes like this. The Lord said to Abram, 12 verse 1, 2 and 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Talk about pressure. I had someone yesterday say that we needed to pipe in that, um, that little mix between uh, Queen and David Bowie, you know, dun, 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 under pressure. Yeah, I mean, like that would have been a great background track to just repeatedly play through this teaching this morning. Because the pressure placed on being a son of David, the pressure doubled down on being placed on being the son of Abraham is that no big deal, but at some point there's going to be a generation that delivers one who will save God's people with a king on a throne and, oh, by the way, one who will bless all the people of the planet. There you go. Thank you. Good night. Pressure. And this is how Matthew starts a story that's good news. And I'm going to pick it up here in verse 2. Abraham, we're looking for names that we recognize, by the way. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We recognize both of them. And we're still kind of shocked at what God asked Abraham to do with Isaac up on the mountain. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And then, er, record scratch, a woman is mentioned in a genealogy that for its time would have only included men. 
whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Everybody in the room would have, uh, uh, would have, would have anticipated the boos that are to come. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Joshua. Everybody would have cheered. Joshua was the father of Jeconiah. Everybody would have booed even louder and his brothers this was at the time of the exile to Babylon we know that story we've heard that story this is this is this is the history of God's people and Isaiah was preaching and teaching and prophesying in the midst of that and we've been there for a couple of months after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of I stopped on this one too. Um, Eliakim, Eliakim, there we go. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akam. Akam was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. And at this point, if you're in the bookstore and you're one of those, like I'm one of those that likes books that you can touch, and, but, but you also maybe kind of want to get a sense if you're going to like the book or not before you purchase it, you're standing there, you know, in the little aisle and you've taken the book off the shelf and you're on page one and you're going... No, I'm going to put this one back, right? I mean, like, because seriously, Matthew, what are you doing? You got a great story to tell, but you're going to start this way? I mean, you got the greatest story to tell. You got the best news ever, and you're going to start this way? Everybody just say with me, Matt, what are you doing? I mean, seriously, Matthew, what are you doing? How are you going to start this way? Everybody's lost attention. They're not paying attention anymore. Eleazar was the father of Mathen. Mathen was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And then this is Matthew at his best. He's, man's got stuff lined out. He actually wrote all that on a spreadsheet. Later on, they put it into prose. So there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to the Christ. And here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you're Joseph and you were born, 
and your first recollections are, are the teaching of your family's history, which is the history of God's people. When your first recollections are that God has made promises and kept them, and God has made promises, and some of them haven't been kept and delivered on yet, but we believe that God is faithful to keep his promises. When you're Joseph, and this is the way you've been raised, you with me? And someone looks at you and all your cousins lined up there in the little schoolhouse kind of moment and says, now here's the deal. Because of who your daddy was and because of who your daddy's daddy and going all the way up the generations, it could be you. It could be you. That's the promised one that fulfills the promise to David. It could be you that's the promised one that fulfills and delivers on the promise to Abraham. And if it's not you, listen to this, if it's not you, it could be your children. It could be your son. Talk about the pressure. Talk about the expectations. Talk about the back-breaking, I get up every day, and go to work wondering, when is God deliver? And is it going to be through me? And the matchmaker in the town where I grow up gets together with my parents and the parents of a girl down the street. And when, when, and when the age is right and, and when she's become a woman, we're now engaged and betrothed to be married. And Joseph hears this. I mean, if there's a pressure knob, right? If there's a dial in the life of Joseph that says right above it in Aramaic, right? Because it wouldn't have been in English. It would, have, it would have said pressure. Joseph at this point has turned the dial to 10 and then you know what he's done? <laughs> he's broken it and just started spinning it, right? The pressure that's put on Joseph and all of his cousins to deliver because, this is another subject, sermon for another day, but because God in his wisdom that we cannot begin to understand, who has the power to save the world on his own, but instead chooses to use us, has committed that it's going to be one of these people that delivers the world from its sins and saves all of us. I mean, the pressure on Joseph is through the roof. And if you go back to the list, the pressure gets even more intensified when you begin. Did you, did you notice what I noticed? That the list starts with a bunch of names that you recognize. How many people recognize Abraham? How many people recognize uh, Jacob? I mean, David. I mean, many of us even remember uh, Jesse because some of the promises about the stump of Jesse. I mean, we remember the names, especially in the beginning of the list, maybe even a little bit in the middle of the list. But anybody notice that, that the last of that list, those weren't names that Matthew's collected, those were, dare I say, those were no names. You with me? I mean, I didn't recognize, I didn't recognize really any of those people. Some of them, by the way, have names that we recognize from other parts of the Bible, but I don't think they're actually the same people. They're not the same people. The history doesn't line up. These are no-name people. You want to talk about piling on the pressure. 
You want to talk about piling on the pressure. Joseph is in a string of generations that are no names. People aren't expecting much. And there's actually, you ready for this? There's biblical evidence for that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. This will take just a moment. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. There's this little story that, that almost, I mean, it, it almost doesn't have a part in the Christmas story, and yet it does. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is Jesus, and he's been out teaching and healing and raising people from the dead, the kind of stuff that Jesus did, right? Everybody say amen to that. Trying to bring some good news back to this pressure-packed, anxiety-filled sermon here. Jesus is out doing his thing, and it says, it says this in Matthew 13, 54. It says, when he came to his hometown, Jesus, he taught the people in their synagogue. They were surprised and said, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get the power to work miracles? And you know what? I, I tell you what, Amanda, I, I'm just going to read the first line of this verse, and we don't even have to go any further. The first line of the verse says it all. And clearly, Jesus has miracles, but you get to verse 55, and it says, isn't he the carpenter's son? I mean, it, it asks other questions, too, and those are valid questions, but, but we can just stop there. I mean, Jesus, Jesus has got game. But the people that grew up with his family are asking the question of, where did that game come from? And the first version of that question is, I mean, isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, Jesus is the son of Joseph. Even the people that grew up with Joseph didn't expect much. One generation after another of people who are no name. And not thought well of. And this is how Matthew starts the story. And it makes no sense. Which is exactly why God works this way. Paul, Paul tried, he was writing to a church, he, he tried to explain the way that God, the sovereign king on the throne of the universe, operates. This is Paul talking about the way that God in his might and his power and his just, just, just ultimate sovereignty works. And this is what he says, it's uh, 1 Corinthians I would ask who moved the mark out of my Bible that had it saved, but I'm the only one that's been holding the thing all morning long. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Paul, writing to the church, says, look at your situation 
when you were called brothers and sisters. Paul's writing to the women and the men who were sitting in the chairs as these words would have been read. And it says, by ordinary human standards, not many were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the, str- the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life. Can I add the words no name and not thought of? What is considered to be nothing to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. This This is how our God works. God chooses the ordinary and equips them to do the extraordinary. God pulls out the the no name, not so that their name would be known, but that his name would be known. God chooses the ones that everyone else has passed over. So when the glory starts to appear and be on display, he would get the glory. This this is how the story starts. I love this line that I read. The Christmas story really starts with a tree. Not a Christmas tree, but a family tree. The fact that the Christmas story starts with a genealogy shows us that it's a real story that happened in a real place at a real time. God chooses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God chooses the no-name God chooses the generation with all of the pressure building. God chooses me. God chooses you. And thanks be to God that we're not measured by the way the world sees us. were measured by heaven and through the way God sees us. Let's pray. God, even now as we are preparing our hearts for this day that is to come, for this birth that changes everything, even now as we're preparing our hearts for your work that is yet to happen. Lord, move in our spirits. Kindle in our souls this expectation that the promises you've made to us, you're the God who's chosen us, will be kept.
Lord, this morning, comfort us with the truth that you choose the ordinary, that you choose us, and you equip us to do what we cannot on our own. Give us the courage to live and choose in the midst of pressure that which would bring you glory, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.